pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the privilege of looking at your word. We come as needy people. We're thirsty for you to uh, reveal yourself to us and to satisfy us with your promises and support us in our weakness. Lord, we pray now, uh, would you open our hearts and open our minds so that we can understand wonderful things out of your law we ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. General MacArthur described his departure from the Philippines with these words. On the dock, I could see the men staring at me. I'd lost 25 pounds living in the same, on the same diet as the soldiers, and I must have looked gaunt and ghastly there in my old war-stained clothes. I raised my cap in a farewell salute and could feel my face go white. I heard someone ask, what's his chance, Sarge? And the gruff reply, dunno, he's lucky, maybe one in five. I stepped aboard PT-41, you cast off, Buck, I said, when you're ready. We're looking at those verses that Lynn just read for us, uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 15 to 38. If you can turn in your Bible to that section. If we read those words with sterile detachment, we miss its life and its benefit. The image is of Paul meeting with the Ephesian elders as a group of soiled soldiers gathering with their revered general for some final words of instruction from him. And the truth that comes through in these verses is along these lines. The best that we can do for those that we love is point them to the God who loves them more. Well, this narrative unfolds along three lines. Paul's personal testimony it begins with verse 15 and goes down through verse 27. And then his encouragement to the elders, uh, bracketed by verses eight, uh, 28 to 31. And then finally, his concluding prayer. So what's his testimony? Look at verse 16, please. He wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so instead of going to Ephesus, he sends for those elders to come to him. When they arrive, he talks to them about what they know of him, how he lived among them. And then in verses 19 and 20, he makes this claim, because Jesus has saved him, he sees himself as God's servant, 24-7, 365, always on call, even when faced with trying times. Paul's been faithful in giving them whatever he thought was in their best spiritual interest. And he would do it in whatever context was fitting. He says privately and uh, from house to house in public. He cared about people, all peoples, Jew and Greek. And he kept entrusting himself to the Lord, even though the Holy Spirit had said that his future was uncertain, trouble was coming. He's single-minded, though. He wants to finish the course 
that the Lord has given him. Now, like Paul, when we walk with the Lord, we tell others about what he's doing in our lives and how we want to serve him and we reflect with them together how we might best do that with one another. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of Christian fellowship. So let me just pause here and ask the question, how do you view your life? Are you a 24-7-365 Christian? Or would you say, eh, when I feel like it, yeah, I'm all in for the Lord. And what would you say about your testimony? Do you see your life's path as the record of God's work in your life? To be shared for his glory, uh, for the benefit of any he gives you, to listen to your story? When she went off to college, Samantha was a baby Christian. Roy and Janet led the campus ministry of which she was a part, and they encouraged her to tell other students about her faith in Christ. She said, oh, I couldn't do that. I, I can't even sell Girl Scout cookies. I, I don't know what I would say. And so they said, well, okay, why don't you just pray about it? She did, once, and then promptly forgot about that prayer. Until one night, there was a soft knock on her dorm room door. Tina asked Samantha if they could just talk, briefly. She had a hard time getting started, but when she finally could get out what was inside of her, she said, well, could you please tell me about your relationship with God? as if it were a national secret, you know. Um, and in that instant, the prayer that Samantha had offered weeks before suddenly flashed to her mind. There was the Lord's answer, staring her right in the face. And she did tell Tina her story. More than that, the Lord used that experience to motivate her to go and serve with crew, campus ministry, so that she could learn to be better at telling people her testimony. And she realized in the process that her story was not so much about her as it was about what the Lord had been doing and was doing in her life and through her life. Well, with Paul and Samantha, the Lord invites you to look back on the story that he has been writing and pass it on to others. I'm sure there are gems of truth that you could use to benefit the people the Lord brings into your life. So that's essentially what we see of Paul's testimony. Now we want to move on and look at verses 25 and following where he talks to us about the words of encouragement, where Luke tells us about the words of encouragement that he gives to the Ephesian elders. He's been faithful to proclaim the kingdom of God to them, verse 25. And then he makes this statement. Amazing statement. I am innocent of the blood of all. Innocent. Paul says, I have a clear conscience. And that's true. 
Jesus does offer a clear conscience when people come to him and confess their sins. You know, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, how much your conscience is bothering you today, you can be free. You can be with Paul. You can say, I'm innocent. I have a clear conscience. If you're like me, you know, the bells are going off about your conscience regularly. Oh, no. Oh, I need to confess that. Uh, now, there's an, you know? But please notice, it's Paul who is saying this. This is the guy who had approved of Stephen's stoning to death. He had ravaged the church, arresting Christians. He describes himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as the most prominent of sinners. And now he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I mean, had the beatings he'd already endured somehow given him brain damage? Did he, was he suffering from amnesia? What, what's the deal? How can he say, I'm innocent? Well, because he had received the forgiveness that the Lord promises to any sinner who repents of his sins. That's the first reason he could say that. Yeah, he had a clear conscience. Uh, there's a kid's song that goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but the words are, gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free, and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. Paul had a grasp of that song long before it was ever written. But there's a second more um, to the point reason that Paul can say that he's innocent. And that's because he had faithfully told whoever he could that Christ offers salvation with forgiveness to all that repent. Now, he's using, if you look at verse 27, he's using the imagery of Ezekiel. Um, He's saying, I have been like a watchman on the wall. I see danger coming, and I shout out, there's danger out there. And he, wor he warned both Jew and Gentile, and so now the listener is responsible for his own choices, what he's going to do with the gospel. Well, when we walk with the Lord, we have a clear conscience. That's the promise of the gospel. But what else does Paul say? Well, look at verse 28. He says, guard yourselves against internal temptation. Now, notice the framework. First of all, verse 28. Uh, elders serve local congregations by divine appointment. It's not a popularity contest. The Holy Spirit appoints people to serve in local congregations. And also, verse 28, the local church is of extreme value to the Lord. He purchased the church with his own blood. Therefore, now verse 28 again, watch your own life. In other words, elders, it is possible for you to sin. Don't kid yourself. It's possible for you to be tempted by sin. But he also says, 
not just watch yourself. It's not just me. I'm not just supposed to be navel-gazing on me. He also says, watch yourselves. That is, it's a statement about elders are responsible for one another. You watch yourself, you watch the other elders. I mean, it kind of sounds like Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says there, uh, if any person is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of meekness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But the danger is not only for me as an elder and for the other elders. That's not the only danger. Look at 28 again. The Lord has raised up church leaders because the church needs care and protection. And so Paul says now, verses 29 and following, be on guard against other dangers. What are those? There are people on the outside who are like fierce wolves, and they want to do nothing more than harm the flock of God. Have you ever been around somebody who is intent on leading Christians astray? Those people are around you. But in addition to that, look at verse 30, there are also people on the inside. They will try, away, they will try to draw away the sheep of God's pasture to themselves rather than encouraging them to follow the Lord. So watch out for that kind of internal threat. And so here's the picture. Church leaders need to be watching their own relationship to the Lord, the relationship of other leaders to the Lord, external threats that would tear the church apart, internal threats that would make false disciples, and the good of the entire congregation. This task requires constant vigilance. It is not for those who are faint at heart. My mother had this uncanny ability to keep tabs on me. Uh, it seemed like she could just sense when, was, when I was up to no good, the few times that I was up to no good. And then she would tease me and say, I have eyes in the back of my head. Well, that's the thing that is required of a faithful elder, to have eyes in the back of his head, as it were. Genuinely interested in people, sensitive, engaged with them, and vigilant about spiritual dangers that can be at any turn. And isn't that what the Lord calls you to do with your life. Aren't you also called to be vigilant to spiritual danger? Who knows when it's going to pop up? Solomon says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus says it's out of the heart that all kinds of bad things pop up. You're not convinced of your own depravity. Just spend some time reflecting on how much you sin. 
very depressing, apart from the gospel. Well, so Paul's got a testimony worth sharing, and so do you. And Paul's got words of advice for you. Be on the alert. What's left? Well, verses 32 to 38. Um, now his prayer to God, our faithful protector. And this is along the lines that I was suggesting at the beginning. The best we can do for those we love is to point them to the God who loves them more, and that's certainly what we see in these verses. Paul's talked about his own testimony, but he, now he kind of returns to that. Um, why? Well, he's been urging the disciple. Uh, he's been urging the elders to deny themselves. That's the path of life for followers of Jesus. Don't seek to fulfill yourself. Deny yourself. And he's saying, deny yourself for the sake of God's kingdom. And now he returns to his own life and he reminds them he is not recommending a lifestyle that's somehow different from what he has embraced and what he has modeled. So look at verses 33 following. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He, like the Ephesian elders, have an inheritance among the saints. And he goes on. These hands of mine have ministered to my necessities in all things I have shown you that we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, what's the world say to us? It bombards us with values and a philosophy that says you only go around once. Now is the time to make it. If you don't lay up treasure for yourself now, you're never going to make it. And by contrast, the word of God says, if you live for the Lord now, you'll have treasure forever. It is literally true that you can't take it with you. And the Lord doesn't want you to bank on that kind of future. He wants you to entrust yourself to him. And so now Paul kneels down with them and prays, and they cry, and they hug, and they kiss him. And they are so upset because he says, this is the last time you're going to see my face. Well, what we looked at is Paul's testimony, his encouragement to the elders, and his concluding prayer. And isn't the kind of living Paul models and commends, isn't that the kind of living that we see in Jesus? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in human likeness, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus' life is all about self-giving to those that are weak like you and me. 
And so while these words are aimed at elders, this text is really for everybody. It's for little kids and medium-sized kids and big kids. It is for young adults, medium adults, and older adults. It is for everybody because the Lord is calling us to grow up into Christ in every way. And we grow up into Christ as we receive his grace by faith. Did you ever hear of a guy named C.T. Studd? He's a famous cricket player, gifted athlete, who went on to China as a missionary. When he came to know the Lord, this is what he said. Right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. The Bible, which had been so dry to me, became everything. So he gave up his career as an athlete, became a missionary. And he said, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. Shortly before his death, he made these observations as he reflected on his life. He said, I believe now that I'm nearing my departure from this world, I have a few things in which to rejoice. First of all, God called me to China, and I went in spite of the utmost opposition. And you can imagine friends, family saying, don't waste your life in China. You're an athlete. He said, no. God called me. I went in spite of the opposition. I joyfully acted as Christ told the rich man to act. Remember? Rich man says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Go sell what you have. Come follow me. And he said, I deliberately gave up my life. My only joys are that God has given me a work to do, and I have not refused to do it. What's the best advice we can give to those we love the most? Well, we want to point them, as Paul did with these Ephesian elders, we want to point them to the God who loves them even more. Lord, we ask you to bless your word to us. We pray that you would help us to be like Paul. To the extent that he was like you, help us to be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of other people. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's see. Lynn, did you take the Bible that was up here? What became of it? How can we do communion without a Bible?